if communities like this were allowed to exist, imagine how different things could be. You know, we don't know. Maybe they would have, you know, eventually something would have happened to these areas, you know, uh, or not. You know, they would have allowed to flourish. And, you know, we would have we would black folks in America would feel more a part of the American experience if we had areas like this that were allowed to flourish in a time to where we were growing and expanding technology and industrialism and, you know, all these things. Uh, imagine if we were allowed to grow along with that versus being held back while this stuff moved on without us. Right. You're listening to the snob OS podcast, the podcast for Apple snobs. Yo, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech. And this is Nika Monford, a.k.a. Tech Savvy Diva. And you are tuned in to the Snob OS show, the show for Apple snobs, where we talk all things Apple and then some. We want to thank you for joining us for another week. We want to definitely send a extra special shout out to our Patreons. We call them the snobbists. They are watching us right now. They're watching us live. They also got access to the pre-show taping to where we kind of talked about our iPhone 12 impressions. Y'all won't get that on this show. In order to get that, you'll actually have to become a member of our Patreon. So for as little as $5 a month, you'll get exactly what I just mentioned. You'll get access to the live show. You'll get access to our pre-show and you'll get access to our Discord chat where we just chop it up and talk anything tech. So uh, we definitely want to encourage you to join that. We also want to thank our current snobbists. Uh, we don't have any this week. We won't have any new ones this week, but we definitely want to continue to say thank you to those who have been riding with us since we actually started to do a little bit more around this show. So again, like I said, we want to thank you to those people. And without further ado, we want to get right into our show. So the first segment, we talk about the lowdown, uh, all things Apple. And uh, like I mentioned, iPhone 12s have started to roll out. People are starting to get them. People are starting to, you know, play with them. They're starting to test out 5G. Uh, one of the things that I found that I wanted to talk about was the fact that not only can you use just 5G, you know, for your regular device, but it's been found out that you can actually use your iPhone 12 as a 5G hotspot. So, of course, if you're in an area that has good 5G, of course, if you've got a device, you know, if you're listening to the show and you are up on the latest tech, I'm assuming you will have an iPhone 12, if not already. So if you um, repeatedly use your iPhone 12 as a hotspot for maybe your iPad or you use it for your MacBook or, you know, you're traveling with family, you know, you all they all want to use the Internet. So you can definitely use your iPhone 12 as a 5G hotspot. So uh, basically, I just want to read from this story that I found on uh, where, where did I find it? Uh, uh, Apple Insider, right? That the capability is not spelled out in Apple's marketing materials, nor is the feature explained in iOS. But uh, a user, you know, confirmed a new maximized compatibility option that manages switchings between the two bands. So basically what you do is once you turn on the hotspot feature in your phone, there'll be another drop down or another option that says maximize compatibility. What that'll do is um, that will uh, setting will move the personal hotspot 
to the 2.4 gigahertz band to enable compatibility with a wider array of devices. Switching this option off locks the 12 iPhone 12 handset into 5G Wi-Fi mode for faster data transmission. So basically that's what the way it works is. And I'll actually let me, let me put that up on the show so you can actually see that feature if you're interested in it. So give me two seconds here. All right. So like I mentioned, let me, there we go. Can you, I don't know if you can see that there. There we go. All right. So if you go into your hotspot features and you turn on the um, hotspot, you'll get this other option that says maximize compatibility. If you turn the maximize compatibility on, it'll drop down to 2.4 gigahertz. So devices that are not 5G compatible or some older devices will still be able to use the hotspot. But if you turn off this maximize compatibility feature, It'll uh, keep the iPhone 12 in 5G Wi-Fi uh, hotspot mode. So therefore, some of your faster devices like a MacBook or like another high end laptop or computer will get access to that com compatibility. So I just want to talk to you and find out if this is something that you see yourself using. I know, of course, we're not out like we used to be because, you know, coronavirus and all that other good stuff. But I mean, is this something you take advantage of or just just like, eh, that's nice. Nika. Oh, oh she may have froze on us. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was the weirdest thing because it was still everything was still moving. Then my cursor stopped moving. And then I was like, maybe it's my mouse. But my mouse looked good and everything was still up. And then all of a sudden the screen just went black and it was like you encountered an error and I've never <laughs> had that happen before. So I don't know. It's, I mean, it's 2020. We're in a <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Yo, no. So basically what I did, I just went on and talked about the second story where yep, uh, Apple I updated. I'm, oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. So <laughs> you, good to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Let's see, the 4K is 60 frames per second. Uh, I do want to show that it's not compatible for all devices. So you have to have an iPod Touch 7 generation and up, iPhone SE uh, or iPhone 7 and later, iPad 6 generation or later, iPad mini 5th generation, iPad Air 3 or later, and then the 10.5 inch iPad Pro or later. So that's pretty much all the newer devices. So you look at iPhone, iPod touching up, iPhone SE and up, you know, iPad, I'd say within 2016, whether it be the iPad, iPad Air or the iPad Pro, anything 2016 and later, you'll get the ability to do the uh, 4K. So um, basically also uh, Apple's updated GarageBand with an option to start New audio recordings from the home screen by touching and holding the garage band app icon and maximum song length at the default tempo has been increased from 23 to 72 minutes. Finally, Apple has also added a new keyboard collection sound pack that features more than 150 keyboard loops. So for all those creators who are actually making music within GarageBand, like I mentioned before, we just use it to kind of edit our podcast version of the show. But if you're actually using it to create music, uh, those features for GarageBand for iOS, rather, uh, definitely be something that you'd be interested to. You know, of course, all these young kids nowadays, they don't even need a laptop. They can use their tablets. They can use their phones 
and they can shoot and edit movies and they can actually make some music just using their mobile devices. So it's cool to see that Apple is actually, you know, catering to those folks and giving them those abilities to do that completely mobile, no laptops, no desktops, no nothing. I'm interested to see the um, iMovie update. So a couple of weeks ago, um, for one of our, we have a a friend uh, whose birthday and we all kind of like, we did like a video, you know, thing to her since Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we couldn't have a normal party. And so I started doing the video in iMovie Mm -hmm. and then it just wasn't giving me, you know, what I wanted. And I actually ended up doing it in Canva. And right. I, I think that Apple is realizing because Canva is fantastic. Right. I mean, they have all these templates where you can just, you know, pick your style and just drop things in and render it. And I mean, it looks so professional and, and so great. So I'm interested interested to see, you know, what um, iMovie has come up with to see if they can, you know, start to compete with with that because I didn't even realize Canva did video. I thought it was I never just, knew. You, this I is... thought it was just like social media, you know, Facebook, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's full on campaign. So if you want to do like a wedding, like announcement thing, or they have like commercials, like they have all these beautiful templates and they the you know the they have like the template and like each of the pages. Okay. You copy the pages and all you have to do is upload your images or your video and just literally click it and drag it and it formats based on what it looks like. And the video came out really well. We were able to, you know, I was able to put in transitions where it transitions from person to person. It was like graphics behind that kind of popped up and music on each one so it builds it out kind of like as slides mm-hmm. but when you put it together it's a seamless movie and it right. was like okay i was like wow so i hope that you know iMovie has come up with something because when we first started uh one of my other friends who kind of came up with the idea um she was like do you know how to use iMovie i'm like yeah and so that's what i started with and i was like this is and i was like this is not what i want and i went on canva and saw the templates and I was like, Oh, so you did this all mobile via your phone or via your, how would you, how was you doing this video? So I did it on my, um, laptop, mm-hmm. uh, well, my desktop, laptop, whatever, mm-hmm. but Canva does have an app. So I was able to go in interchangeably because people were sending me, you know, different videos, you know, when I was out and I wanted to kind of like get stuff in. And so it saves you know, whatever you're doing mm-hmm, and it automatically mm-hmm. saves it. So you can kind of go in interchangeably if you're not even, you know, near your computer, it's all synced. So you can do it either way, right, whether you're right. in front of a laptop or a computer, or if you're on your tablet or phone. So, so yeah. Right. So I think iMovie is specifically video. I don't think they have any sort of graphics uh, outside of just doing basic uh, titles and doing some transitions, uh, maybe importing, you know, photos to do like the Ken Burns thing where it zooms in and zooms out certain areas. But yeah, uh, Canva definitely would be a step up if you're looking to add graphics, if you're looking to, you know, add flashy, you know, effects. Uh, but, but I have to say, I really did, does have templates. Uh, so does. that's what I actually started with. Gotcha. Was looking at, they had a few templates that right. I was, you know, starting to use because at first, I was like, I'll just build out something. I was like, this is taking too long. Let me look at the templates. And then I tried a couple of templates and I was like, eh, that's not 
it wasn't that many. So right. looking at, you know, the article, it it's alluding to like different built-in like fonts and, gotcha. and other things. So, so, so maybe what they're doing is they're pulling from clips. So I don't know if you know, but there's the app that Apple came out with, but they kind of been kind of quiet about it, but it's pretty good. It's almost like, like you mentioned, when you started talking about Canva, it's what I kind of thought of, um, but native to Apple is called clips and enables you to shoot pictures or you can press and hold to do actually a long video. And it's almost like a jump cut ish type thing to where you can add in text and you can add in jump cuts. So um, maybe maybe Apple is starting to pull in some of that stuff from clips into mm -hmm. actually iMovie, you know, so you don't have to have iMovie and use this clips thing. But, I, you know, like I said, I definitely uh, use clips a couple times, but I end up tend up I, I end up going back to iMovie or Final Cut. I'm actually a Final Cut user. Mm -hmm. because I like the 16 by nine uh, high image quality versus clips. You shoot that to be more shared on mobile or specifically more shared on like social media versus iMovie gives you that full 16 by nine, mm -hmm. you know, widescreen quality to where you can play it on mobile, but you can also cast it to a television, you know, HD TV, you know, LED 4k, and it looked just fine on that. If you've done it in iMovie versus the clips, it's going to be squared off and you're going to get boxes on the top and the yeah. bottom, so on and so forth. So, all right. I would say if you use Final Cut, I would definitely, I'm not sure what type of videos you're producing, mm -hmm. but I would take a look at Canva. Okay. All right. All right. I'll definitely check them out. Might make things a little bit easier for you. All right. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Noted. All right. So let's move on to the next one. Um, Office 365 gets iPad, mouse, and trackpad support. Trackpad support. So for those people who have an iPad Pro, uh, who also have the newest iPad Air that just came out, um, maybe you're using your iPad specifically for, you know, all of your work. Like I can think of like, you know, right now with the, you know, coronavirus and virtual learning and distance learning, there may be some kids out there or even some teenagers or even college students who are actually using their mobile devices more to attend Zoom meetings, you know, to actually do some work. Now, since this iPad Pro and then the iPad Air have this fancy uh, keyboard and mouse where you can actually use your trackpad, they actually have the trackpad built into the uh, the newest keyboard, which ain't cheap. It's like two hundred some dollars, but it gives you that feel of an actual laptop. So it makes sense for Office 365 to actually then incorporate uh, the iPad mouse and trackpad support into Office 365. So we're not just talking uh, Word, we're actually talking Word, Excel, PowerPoint, uh, maybe even a couple other ones, but definitely that. Oh, so let me read them out. So Word, Excel and PowerPoint making another important step in Apple's longstanding push to blur the line between tablet and desktop, making iPads more well-rounded productivity machines uh, with the release of iPad OS 13.4. Announced with the latest iPad Pro and like I mentioned, the iPad Air, um, you can actually, you know, use the keyboard and the mouse or use a trackpad built into the keyboard to actually navigate and actually do some work in Office 365. So uh, hats off to uh, Microsoft for actually making their Office products more cross-platform and shout out to Apple, like I mentioned, for actually integrating Office 365 and not trying to wall us off into using pages, numbers, and keynote. As nice as those are, as 
you know, easy it is to integrate them into the ecosystem with Apple. You know, there's nothing like Word, PowerPoint, and Excel. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Can't compete with it. Right, right, right. So shout out to them for uh, including that capability, because like I mentioned, you know, there probably are a lot of kids who are doing virtual learning who, you know, have already had a lap, uh, iPad for just, you know, watching videos. You know, when this whole virtual learning thing, you know, there are a lot of parents out there who are probably, you know, it's like, all right, well, I need to go get them a, a computer. I know they're familiar with Apple, but I can't afford no another MacBook on top of them already having an iPad. Well, you know, now this may be, you know, of course, you have to have the alternative right. to getting an actual, you know, Mac, you know, MacBook or MacBook Pro. Or you I don't mean, have to choose quite possibly. I'm not saying an iPad will take the place of a laptop, but for some of the things that your kid might be doing, you may not have to choose between, okay, well, I can only give them an iPad or I can only give them a uh, laptop or they can use their iPad for when they're playing around. But when they actually have to do work, they can come borrow mine because I'm pretty sure there are a lot of parents that, you know, well, now, you know, you can get an iPad and be comfortable with the idea that if they actually have to do some work specifically in Office 365, capabilities do that. They won't feel like they're just touching on the screen and they don't have the same functionality. So they can definitely do that. So, yeah. all right. All right. So shout out them for that. Let's see. Glad them. they're opening up, being team players, so to speak. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. So the, uh, uh, another story I want to talk about is the remote app from the App Store is no more. So for those who don't know, uh, there was actually a remote app that you could download from the app store that gave you the ability to control uh, Apple TV like an actual remote. So if, you know, the the Apple remote that actually comes in the box with the Apple remote is kind of tiny and it's easy to be lost, but you very rarely won't lose your phone. So if you download the Apple remote on your phone, you can then quickly get to, you know, control your Apple TV. Well, they're removing the remote app from the app store so you will no longer be able to download the remote app what they've done in this place is they've actually moved the remote app to the control center as a basic function of ios so even though you won't be able to go download an app you'll still have that remote app functionality in the control center on your computer on your uh, iphone or ipad or even apple watch so basically you just do the drag down drop down to the control center you get all those additional functions. You click the remote option and then boom, it pops up the same remote that you would have that you would normally download from the app store. So I thought maybe a lot of people would be actually be bummed out about that, but they've actually replaced it and just baked it into iOS 14 or whatever iOS, you know, going forward. So I just thought, just wanted to put that out there, you know, for anybody actually gets stuck and can't find the app remote because I rely on it a lot. And I was going to ask you, you know, uh, how often is this something you be, you know, you use on a regular? No, not really. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I, I cut the cord, right? Yeah. So I don't oh, have, yeah. yeah. So I don't have any cable service providers. I use streaming for everything. And, but what I use for the, set top box is an Apple TV. And that's what I use to connect to Google TV or YouTube TV. Rather, it connects to, of course, Apple TV service. It connects to Disney plus connects to Netflix, HBO, all the other streaming services. And I just use that as my set top box. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, again, like I mentioned, it comes with a little bitty tiny remote that, you know, can easily be lost. So all the time I'm using my phone 
or my iPad or even my Apple Watch to use the TV remote. So it's nice to see that they haven't completely thrown away that feature. They've actually baked it into the operating system and it's just a default, not a default. It's just a baked in option versus being a separate thing. Yeah, it sounds like they're really trying to streamline and mm-hmm. get rid of, you know, redundancy. And it and it makes sense. It's a smart move. Yep, yep, yep. So now, you know, of course, you know, what the benefit to doing something like that, uh, using the remote app in the first place, like here's one of the big things, right? When you are logging into a service, right? Using the actual remote, there's no buttons on the Apple remote. So you have to use the on-screen keyboard to scroll back and forth and click individual apps. And of course, like me, I have complex passwords because I don't want anybody to hack my data. So with the iPhone app and the remote app, I'm able to go into LastPass, copy an an account password, open up the remote app and just quickly paste the password in there. Right. So that's where I the, the remote app comes in the most handy for me when I'm entering passwords, when I'm logging into accounts for the first time or if I haven't used an account for a long, a long time, it times out my account. I got to go back in and log in. So I'm glad to see they didn't get rid of the app, the remote app altogether. They just baked it into the iOS. Nice. All right. All right. So the last one, last story for <laughs> I, I wasn't going to let this one pass. Right. So, I knew you were not. <laughs> when I saw it on Twitter, I was like, oh, crap. I know <laughs> so uh, based on all of the rumors, based on all of the leaks, it looks like Apple has finally said, you know what? We are going to get rid of this grandiose idea of providing a air power mat that will enable you to intelligently charge all of your mobile devices from your Apple Watch, from your um, AirPods to your all your different iPhone devices. So it looks like let me just go ahead and read this citing sources familiar with the matter for take that what it's worth. A serial leaker, John Prosser, on Monday said air power prototyping and testing were removed from Apple's 2021 schedule. The project looks to be shelved indefinitely. And this is the quote. Uh, All power prototype has been removed from sources. Doubt that it'll ever be picked up again. Seems like once again, air power is dead. Prosser said. So, again, they just go into the story to where uh, Apple first announced it back in 2017. You could put three devices next to each other anywhere on this mat and this uh, air power mat would intelligently charge them. And then I reason why I say intelligently is because when the device was charged up, it wouldn't charge them anymore. It would divert that power to some other devices that were on this mat charging or it would just turn off the mat altogether if all the devices were fully charged. Seems dope idea. Definitely something Apple could market and, and sell alongside making a little extra margin because, of course, Apple doesn't play with their pro- 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 uh, profit margins, but it looks like they couldn't get it done. I'm not sure why the story doesn't say why, but again, they were never able to, I guess, get it to work the way Apple wanted. So instead of just playing around with us for the past two years, they finally just decided to shelve it. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I'm sad to see it go, and I finally resigned myself to the fact that I'm never going to get it. Right. But I will say, kind of pulling a little bit from my electrical engineering background, it makes sense why it was so hard to get this done. Okay. Um, When you think about the dynamics of the power distribution Uh and making sure that the circuitry behind that 
is is on point to where you've they they gave up too much front at up front when they said you know it'll be able to distribute power you know divert the power once it's that stuff is hard right. I remember we have to take I didn't focus on the power aspect of electrical engineering I was more on the um, the system design side. Um, but I had to take a couple of transmission and power courses. And let me tell you, even back in the 2000s, it was a lot. I got shocked so many times in one of my transmission classes. Because we had <laughs> these huge transmissions like Georgia Power, right? Like a lab mm-hmm. that was all, I mean, it was a lot. Right. I'm, I got it's it's one thing to get shocked and to kind of blow up a board mm-hmm. when you're doing the circuitry, but when you have these huge power supply transmission thing, it's a lot. Right. And intimidating, so right. It's very intimidating and it's safety concerns. You can be electrocuted because I mean, this is full on power. It's like, you know, we're trying to prepare you to go and do these these jobs. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of give you the real thing. So and the fact that you have to have, you know, not just the hardware itself for the air power mat, but you have to make sure that the hardware for all these different devices who have different designs to try and integrate, you know, AirPods, AirPod Pros, Apple Watch and phone and for it to be able to recognize, say, two phones and Apple Watch uh-huh. or two phones and the, Air, uh, the AirPods and AirPods, right? The the calculations and the design behind that has to be extremely complex and extremely difficult. So I get why they weren't able to bring it to fruition, and they probably just got frustrated and was like, you know, just completely scrap it. Right. They would probably get it figured out at some point, mm-hmm. but the fact that you know it was just taking this long. I'm sure they were like, you know, you know, to be able to save a little bit of face, we just need to go ahead and, and let this go. There may still be some R&D folks on the side who um, are doing this. Right. But I don't think that's going to be the focus. And at my last job before the one that I work in now, um, I worked in R&D mm-hmm. and we did, I was pretty much on the software side, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to, you know, kind of sharpen my electrical chops. And so I worked, you know, on some, some, some projects. Well, we had this one particular piece of hardware that we were doing. And just, this was, this piece of hardware was the size of, think of like a dongle for like a USB dongle, one of the mm-hmm. old school small ones. It was about that size. And just doing the calculations and, you know, just figuring out the capacity and the electrical current that you need to not only power what you're charging, you know, the charging, the power supply, but the actual device as well. Right. It was a lot. And I was only working on a small subset of the circuitry for that. And it was a lot. So right. I can imagine this. So <laughs> I get it. I understand. I'm sad but i get it right so i I put up the picture of the air power mat because it may be something it may not be as complicated it probably is as complicated as you just mentioned but it may be a a simpler uh, uh, answer so if you look at all of the if you imagine all of the current mats that are similar to this out on the market 
You know, you can get them on Amazon, you know, for the cheap. I've actually got one that's pretty expensive, costs about $100. But if you look at this picture right here, they've got the iPhone, they've got the Apple Watch, and they've got the uh, AirPod case all on this thing. Mm-hmm. The Apple Watch, not the Apple Watch, the iPhone and the Air, the AirPods case can lay flat and be charged. The Apple Watch, I can't think of a mat currently on the market that allows you to lay your watch flat on a surface and charge it. Mm-hmm. All of the mats that I've seen have the little um have a little uh well if let me let me make it even simpler than that. If you look at the charging uh a disc on a Apple watch charger. It is concaved to where if you look at the Apple watch, it's not a flat service is actually being charged. There's like a little cup, very, very not deep, but it's a little cup that it actually sits in to charge. And if you look at all the mats on the current market, they have to where you have to put the charging disc into like a little slot. Like here's the slot on the uh, mat. You actually have to put the charger for the Apple watch in the slot. And then you put the Apple watch on top of it. And then it sits and kind of hugs it in that little, uh, my hand for the people on the podcast. You just have to imagine me doing goofy things (laughs) with my hands. Right. (laughs) All that to say, all that to say, you can't lay an Apple watch flat on a surface and charge it because of the way the Apple watch charging uh, surface is it's not flat, so I'm thinking it's like, a, it's, it's like raised right, bevel. right. Because what they have to do is they have to the the end. You know what? Let me for all the people watching. Right, if you look at my Apple Watch, it's curved back here. You can't lay that flat on your arm and it get the readings for like your, um, you know, they've got the EKG, they've got your heart rate. Now they've got the blood oxygen sensor. All those things, it actually has to go not into, but it ha- it can't sit flat on your wrist to get those readings. Right. So for it to have that shape, you can't lay it flat and charge it. So I'm thinking maybe Apple was having a problem with actually trying to lay an Apple watch flat on this surface and get it charged correctly. So they scrapped it. That's just my conspiracy theory, um, because I haven't if you look and you know do a quick search on all these Apple watch you know, these charging mats, they have the mat, but then they have the separate part to charge your watch because the surfaces are different. So that's just, that's just my conspiracy theory slash. And it's very, and it's very sensitive too, because even I have a couple of the, the, the little circular charging things for Mm -hmm. my phone. Mm -hmm. So I have one downstairs in my office and then I have one upstairs in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that I position it just so or otherwise it won't charge it. So right. I have to make sure, you know, where the MagSafe is on the phone, I have to make sure that that's directly in the middle right. of the little charging disc mm-hmm. deal. So I get it. I, I get it. Right. And they were trying to have it where, regardless of where you put it, it right. will charge it. And then I guarantee you, if you take your watch off and put it on any of those little uh, mats that you can charge, uh, wireless devices, it won't charge Apple Watch because it has to sit in that little 
that little cubby, that little circle thing for it mm-hmm. to actually charge. And I don't think Apple could get it right. So they just shelved it. So, yeah. Like I said, rest in peace to the air power mats. We hardly knew ye. <laughs> I wish I. I wish I'd known you better. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for all things Apple in the lowdown. We're going to move into second string where we talk all things tech. And again, speaking of a grand opening, grand closing, uh, the Quibi streaming service closes after six months and over, I want to say like two billion. Yeah. Uh, two, yeah. Two billion dollars raised. That's crazy how they shut it down. I mean, you, you would think that a service specifically designed for mobile, specifically designed for short stuff on mobile. Because if you think, you know, all of us are used to like one to three minute videos on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, all that is just short form, real quick, get you in, get you out. So you would think a service specifically designed for streaming, specifically designed for mobile, specifically designed for short stories or short episodes. You know, I think you know, Quibi episodes or Quibi, Quibi movies were actually broken up into short eight to 10 minute episodes. So you yeah, have they're to little small chunks and you'd watch a whole movie in these short, you would think that would be ideal for this current, you know, environment, you know, the current people who are actually interested young folks who, you know, short attention spans, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously that is not the case. Uh, Quibi Holdings is shutting down a mere six months after launching a streaming service, a cash landing for a once highly touted startup that attracted some of the biggest names in Hollywood and looked to revolutionize how people consume entertain entertainment. The streaming service, which served shows up to five to 10 minute chapters formatted to fit a smartphone screen, had been plagued with problems since its April debut, facing lower than expected viewership and a lawsuit from a well capitalized foe. So maybe the lawsuit <laughs> killed it. You know, maybe the idea, I think uh, one of the issues with Quibi, I never used it. But one of the things I've heard about it was you can only watch it on your iPhone. You can't stream it to a TV. Mm. You can't because what most people do, like especially college kids who maybe don't have cable, They've got their cell phone and this is their only source of entertainment. But what they would do is they would stream it to an Apple TV or a Chromecast or mm-hmm. Roku or whatever the case may be with Quibi. They wouldn't even let you do that. So you had to sit there on your phone and watch these things. So maybe that was a contributor, but sounds like they got sued and they wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't about that life. So they say, right. You know <laughs> so the people behind this were like really powerful, well-known, extremely wealthy TV folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hollywood people. And just so tech giants, got, tech giants, yeah. uh, Meg Whitman. Yeah. I think she was the, I think she's yeah, H- Meg HP Whitman was one of the founders. Of, and then, uh, e- I think she was, uh, uh, of eBay, I think. And then went on to HP. I yeah, think she was, she's been a, she's been the, the top person right. at a couple of, of companies. And then the guy, I can't remember. His I'm looking, name. I'm looking it up now. Is it one of the Katzenberg brothers? Or yeah, something? yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, so these are people who are well known and that's probably why they were able to get it launched and to raise, you know, two billion dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. So you raised two billion dollars and you exhausted that in six months. I mean, it's it's astounding. Right. And for me, one of the things is, you know, hate to be the Debbie Downer, but I am. You know, the amount of money that they were able to raise 
for this VC. Do you can you imagine what some of these other VCs could have done with that kind of money? Mm-hmm. I mean, even a sliver, like a half a percent of of the total thing, and for it to raise in the billions and then be out of business in six months. I mean, it just goes to show that when they came up with this, did they have a solid plan? Right, or right. Or was it just the names behind it that got it mm-hmm. done? Because yep. they won a couple of people. Um, uh, I think uh, uh, Jasmine Cephas Jones um, and, uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting one of the guys. The big uh a black male um, actor. They won like um, Emmys from their Quibi shows. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I saw, so I saw so Kevin Hart had a show on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so um, they, I mean, getting a, a nom, an Emmy for for acting roles, and I think they got a couple. Mm-hmm. Sam Jackson. I can't remember. I don't want to mess it up. But it was a couple of big name, you know, wins, you know, at the Emmys for for these Quibi shows and that couldn't save it. So to me, that goes to show, you know. Right. So I did a little research and found a a better story to kind of explain uh, from the horse's mouth. So uh, Quibi founder Jeffrey Katzenberg and CEO Meg Whitman told CNBC on Thursday, this is last Thursday, that a convergence of factors led to the failure of the short form entertainment service for mobile phones. Uh, We had a new product. We asked people to pay for it before they actually understood what it was I think we thought there would be easier adoption for uh, by people to it. Uh, Katzenberg said in an interview with uh, Julia Burstein, Katzenberg also pointed toward the COVID-19 pandemic affecting people's travel. So again, they affect they intended for a younger audience, uh, but the app debuted just weeks after the pandemic hit uh, U.S. hampered travel, meaning people weren't commuting and turning their phones for entertainment. At the same time, streaming competitors such as Netflix and Disney Plus saw a surge in viewers. So maybe they were, again, like I mentioned, they were banking on the fact that everybody would be consuming all this mobile because they'd be commuting, whether it be on a, you know, a business trips over airplane or just commuter trips, you know, in the local. But are you willing to risk billions of dollars on that one premise? Uh, if people give you the money and they give it to you openly, I guess. I wow. guess <laughs> that's, that's wild that they were able to raise that kind of money. Again, I think it's their names, right? You know, possibly most the likely fact that, Oh, people are going to be commuting. So they'll watch it. Right, right, right. And then like I said, when COVID hit, nobody was commuting. And like I said, they could only watch it on mobile. So they couldn't stream it to a television, unlike Disney, Netflix and others that had full TV experiences you know, at the end, maybe even travel to where people wasn't shooting as much, you know, they couldn't get production to run. Yeah. So, you know, um, it sucks, but it is what it is, I guess. But oh, well, yeah. they'll Oopsie. they'll they'll resurface and they'll raise billions of dollars to do other things. For their next thing. Yep. Yeah, it must be must be nice, must <laughs> be nice. <laughs> to be able to fail this hard, this fast and be like, eh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, all right. So uh the next story I want to get into uh Google partners with the Associated Press to provide election results. So we were kind of talking about the election a little bit in our um our pre-show and we were talking about, you know, how possibly the um the results may not be, you know, immediately on the 3rd, you know, we're used to being able to election day 
starting on, you know, the 3rd of November. And then, you know, we're late 10, 12, 11 o'clock at night finding out the actual uh, winners. So, you know, Google is trying to, well, technology is trying to step in and um, maybe even giving people the idea of who won faster versus doing things like what we normally do is wait up and watch television and watch them yapping, 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 yap all night long with guess, all guess, 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 guess. guest after guest after guest after guest, all this writing on the wall and all these red and blue numbers Point and states and, and all this other stuff. Light up <laughs> so uh, Google, it, I would assume Google is partnering with Associated Press so we can actually go on our phones, go on our computers, go to the Internet, type in, you know, uh, Georgia, Georgia Democratic race or Georgia Republican race or whatever the case may be and be able to actually get quicker results, you know, find out who won, find out the uh, the the the, the timestamp of the current, you know, uh, numbers, you know, all that information without, like I said, trying to wait on the news to tell us we can actually go on the Internet and quickly find it. So let me read uh, a little bit of you know information. The company, the company has offered these kinds of features in previous elections and is partnered with AP in 2016 for an election buzz tool, but digital platforms are under particular pressure to offer accurate information during the 2020 election. Many votes may be received by mail days after polls close, giving unverified stories, plenty of time to spread across sites like YouTube and Google search, uh, so on and so on and so forth. So bait, you know, they're kind of, um, basically just trying to come up with a more authoritarian, authoritarian, authoritative, good Lord, <laughs> uh, way for people to actually go on the internet, do a search, find out who won their state, find out how much they won and to get more up-to-date information. Because like I mentioned, there's a good case that this election will last days, if not weeks. So being able for people being able to as fast as they kind of like go on Twitter to get the information, they want to be able to go on Google and be able to quickly look up who won where, what percentage points without trying to sit up and watch the news and without like, like the story mentioned, without getting sucked into all the information, whether it be positive, negative, or just plain out wrong. You know, you can trust, you can, the idea is to trust Google and AP to actually have this accurate information. So I just want to get your opinions on, do you think this is going to be a good thing? You know, we talked about last week, about how Google likes to manipulate things, which is why they're probably getting sued by the uh, Department of is t- the, the Department of Justice, Department of Justice. Yes. right? About them, you know, manipulating their search results. So maybe this is Google's way to kind of preempt that and say, "Hey, you can trust us. We partner with the Associated Press," you know. Or is it going to be more like, "Yeah, you know, are they going to try to manipulate things based on whatever, whatever state or whatever official?" throw some ads at Google, you know, do you think this partnership will be enough to maybe regain some trust, especially when it comes to looking for uh, campaign winners and who won the election, who won whatever? I think it all depends on how they present it. Um, I think they are doing themselves um, a great service by teaming up with the AP. Um, I think that leads some credence to them. Um, And I think just because the Google name is so well known for the average, you know, person, you know, looking at this information, I don't think, you know, 
they'll just take this. Oh, Google is now showing this. And of course I trust Google. So sure. But folks who are more on the data privacy side or folks that are more, you know, aligned and, and, and aware of what's going on the technology side. Or people just they, flat out frustrated with yeah. all the news all together. <laughs> so it, yeah. So it may bring, it may move the needle for that. And again, like you said, whether you, whatever platform, news platform you, you watch, you just get all this extra commentary that for me personally, I don't care about. Just give me the facts. So right. even when we were looking at some of the debates and those types of things, I I would mute the, I would go ahead and turn on the debate because you never know when it's going to start. And I would just mute it mm-hmm. when people were talking because I don't want your commentary of what you expect to happen right. because you don't know right. all the speculation. And then when you find out you were wrong, well, yeah, so I can see why blah, 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 blah. I don't just right. give me the straight right. facts unless there are only certain people that I go to for certain commentary. Right. I don't want every Tom, Dick and Harry's, you know, commentary. Right. There's certain people that I want right. and I'll seek that out. All right. So, yeah. yeah so, uh, again, like I said, to kind of make sure people can trust Google, you know, Google just uh, a little bit reading a little bit more about the story. Google announced last month that would it would ban U.S. election related ads after the polls close on November 3rd, attempting to forestall candidates prematurely claiming victory. Mm-hmm. It's published updates on potential hacking campaigns relating to the election added panels on YouTube addressing voting-related misinformation, uh, introduced Google News Hub for the 2020 elections, among other things. So basically, like I said, I think Google is trying to preemptively clean the slate of all of the news. They're trying to make themselves more presentable. Right, right. So this, you know, partnering with the Associated Press, you know, to go all the way back to the original story, is just another step into making people feel more comfortable about being able to go to Google, look up election results for their state, for their city, for their favorite representative or a campaign official or whomever they're looking for to run and can feel good about getting truthful, accurate information. Yeah. All right. All right. So the next story we got is, uh, it looks like LeBron, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 Yep. (laughs) So we're going to move into for the culture where we talk, you know, just anything socially related that we care about. Uh, we first, care about. Right. So the first thing I brought up was uh, LeBron James is working with his team and working with uh, CNN. I think I saw uh, to make a black Wall Street documentary. So LeBron James, you know, fresh off the fresh off the win, fresh off the win. Yeah, for the NBA championship. Now has decided to, you know, uh, take some attention in the off season, uh, partner with his uh, Maverick Carter, who is, I think, is his agent. Uh, and they I guess they've come up with this company called Spring Hill Entertainment and is inking. Uh, yeah, they actually produced a lot of stuff just right. to kind of give a little back history on that. They, they've been doing a lot of stuff on the entertainment side. Right. So he ain't new to this, right? Nah. So uh, he's his latest project is uh, teaming up with CNN films for a new documentary focused on the events surrounding the black wall street massacre. Both companies will produce the uh, Salima Karoma directed. I'm assuming that's a, a lady 
directed is called Dreamland, The Rise and Fall of Black Wall Street, which Variety reported on Monday is now in production. Um, And this is a statement from uh, Chief Content Officer Jamal Henderson at Spring Hill Entertainment. He says, we cannot move forward until we acknowledge our past. And this is about honoring a prosperous, booming black community, one for many that was brought to an end because of hate. Henderson said, adding that there is a lack of historic historic journalism focused on the importance of Black Wall Street and the 1921 massacre in the Greenwood district of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So for those who don't know, um, there was a prosperous black community where it had black doctors, black dentists, black grocery stores, all the things that you would look forward to. Everything. Right. Banks, everything that you would look to for a community that is serving its people. Uh, Some things went down. Uh, The powers that be didn't take too kindly to these black folks doing their own thing and killed upwards to 100 to maybe even 200 people set this area, this Greenwood district in Tulsa, Oklahoma, burned it to the ground and the history books. We never really heard about it until recently. You know, I'd say I've known about it for at least 10 years or so, but I'm but I'm 42 years old. And, you know, as much as we've heard about Martin Luther King, much as we've heard about George Washington Carver, much as we've heard about Black History Month, you know, this uh, Black Wall Street and in this Greenwood district and this uh, this uh, 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 massacre in Oklahoma is not in any history books. You know, it's not in any sort of course you know, K through 12 education. Maybe you heard it when you went to college or like most of us with the internet age, all this information starting to pop up and we're starting to absorb it. We're starting to share it, you know, so it's a shame on one hand that it's taken us so long to kind of spread this information broadly, not just amongst, you know, our little internet circles and internet pockets that we kind of stay within it's actually starting to go mainstream that CNN is starting to pick this stuff up to where, you know, you talk about this to, you know, people who don't look like you, white folks, you know, Asians, you know, any non-black person and maybe even a lot of black folks who have never heard about, you know, Black Wall Street as what we've called it, you know. And so it's on one hand, it's kind of a shame that it's taken 2020 or the late 20, you know, 2000s for us to start talking about it. But on the same Hat, you know, I'm proud of a person like LeBron James, who, you know, a lot of people expect him to shut up and dribble, quote unquote. And he doesn't have to do this. And doesn't have to do this. You know, he could do something else. He could, you know, help the Boys and Girls Club. You know, he could do, you know, like he's got a whole school, you know, to where he, you know, but he's actually doing something that needs to be told. And I applaud him for actually doing something because we need to know about this. Because And it's really. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just. I was just saying how it's selective education. So mm-hmm. in the history books, they give you the the warm and fuzzy thing. So they'll tell you, oh, slavery, but it wasn't too bad. Right. And they'll give you Martin Luther King. They will give you- Civil rights movement. You know, oh gosh. Yeah, civil rights movement. You know, we were, you know, it was, it was a very nonviolent, you know, thing, you know, and they show it all in black and white like it was so far ago. No, this is in the 50s and 60s. They purposely show images of that time in black and white to make it seem like it's even older than it is. Right. So that's one part. And if you think about it, 
you know, the things that we aren't made aware of. Think back to hidden figures. How did we not know about these women? Right. How did we not? I mean, this was this was huge. How did, how did we not know? So it's one of those things where, you know, it's selective education where they quote unquote, give you what they, they want you to know. But I think of this really came, um, you know, to the prominence and to the forefront. When you think about Watchmen, Watchmen opened right. up mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the Tulsa massacre and, you know, they, they, a lot of times show the, the bad or, you know, the negative, not negative, but the, the murder and the massacre, but they don't tell you what was before that. Right. And that's why I appreciated Lovecraft Country because they showed the prominence. When I saw that episode, I think it was episode nine, maybe mm-hmm. eight mm-hmm. or nine, where they had to go back into the future. I mean, go back to the future, go back in the past. And they showed how this Black Wall Street, I mean, People were dressed to the nines, mm-hmm. flourishing. I mean, you know, hotels, banks. I mean, and these were very, you know, wealthy black people. And this was during a time where, or just well you know, to do, black people weren't supposed to have anything, or just well to live, do, yeah. or just living and their so, lives. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't anything that was quote unquote extraordinary. Right, they were like you said, living their lives. But when you put it in the frame of reference of time. And those type of things, it was, you know, extraordinary, extraordinary for that time. Right. Right. So I'm looking forward to this documentary, not only sh- not showing the end right. of the massacre, but showing what was before it. Right. The beauty of the people it. telling the, the stories, you know, and... the joy. And, yeah. They mm-hmm. tell the full story and you get the full picture that it wasn't just all bad. It ended badly, ended horribly, it ended in the most you know, worst possible way, mm-hmm. but let us see right. the flourishing and just living right. because we even talk about it now. We just want to be able to live. We right. just want to be able to go about our business and live our lives the best way possible. And they were able to do that. And right. because I'm not a hundred percent of the reason, I think it may have been, you know, a, a someone accused a black guy of rape or, I mean, uh, yeah, of rape or something along those lines where folks like, you know what? We already didn't like this and now we have a reason to burn it down. Yeah. And so that's what they did. So I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I was going to speculate as to what happened, but I, of course I've gotten, you know, bits and pieces. So <laughs> again, like you said, it'd be, it'd be nice to see, you know, uh, something like this because you can only imagine if communities like this were allowed to exist Imagine how different things could be. You know, we don't know. Maybe they would have, you know, eventually something would have happened to these areas, you know, uh, or not. You know, they would have allowed to flourish. And, you know, we would have we would black folks in America would feel more a part of the American experience if we had areas like this that were allowed to flourish in a time to where we were growing and expanding technology and industrialism and, you know, all these things. Uh, imagine if we were allowed to grow along with that versus being held back while this stuff moved on without us. Right. And that's like, you know, th- that's the whole, yeah. I guess, the, my interest in it, you know, to, to sit back and say, imagine if we could have kept cities like this going. Imagine if we would have grew more cities. Imagine how race, race relations would be if we all felt truly, if we all felt like we had equal opportunity and a 
city mm-hmm. like this at the very little just kind of had that example of what it would look like if African-Americans, whites, Asians, Mexicans, Latinos had their areas to where we were able to grow and thrive separately, but at the same time, be a part of the American dream as a whole. So that, I mean, I just, it'd be interesting to see where they go with this. Like you said, like you said, I agree with you hundred percent to where it'd be nice to see the city, you know, maybe like say a little time machine to where we can go back and kind of see pictures, see maybe even some video, hear stories from people who lived it or were told of the stories from people who actually lived it. So it'd be interesting to see. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was, I really enjoyed the snippet, the, the, the part of time that we did get to see it on Lovecraft country. And I did a little Google. So um, on history.com, uh, they're saying that uh, May 30th, 1921, a young black teenager named Dick Rowland entered an elevator of the Drexel building. Oh yeah. Right. And at some point, a young uh, white operator, elevator operator, Sarah Page screamed. Mm-hmm. And then he fled the scene and he was later arrested. So she, she screamed. Right. And so he ran. So, uh, so yeah, they arrested him on uh, sexually, sexual assault. And then the mob, the angry white mob kind of got together and did their know, thing, did what they yeah. did, what they did. Right. So, so that's what it was. I mean, similar a la Emmett Till, right. you know, so. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure countless other stories right. that we've heard and that we haven't heard. Well, I mean, fast forward to the Karens, you know, of the 2020s and, you know, where the sister, you know, the white, the white lady called the police the, on the, the brother. Yeah, yeah. Day. I mean, yeah. I mean, simple as that, you know, so, you know, which is why now people kind of can understand why we are so triggered when stuff like this happens, because there is a history of it and there's a pattern. It's not just a random occurrence. There is a history behind it. So, all right. So like I said, we'll go ahead and move on. Uh, I think if you're cool with it, we're probably, I was going to, I'll just make a mention that, you know, versus season two is back. Uh, the first group up is T.I. and Jeezy. For those who don't know, those, these are two prominent Atlanta, you know, uh, trap music, you know, superstars who, you know, kind of came up on the heels of the outcasts and the goody mob. You know, they, you know, you think of outcasts, you think of goody mob, goody mob, you think of all those people who kind of started the whole South hip hop movement. And then, like I said, people like T.I., people like Jeezy kind of came behind them and kind of, you know, solidified the South, you know, trap music, as they call it. All the music that now, you know, people uh, do yoga to the mumble rap. Right. Well, not not just mumble rap, uh, just to uh, cross over into like mainstream oh, yeah. music, you know, so much so to where, you, you know, you think of trap music, you think, of, oh, well, that sounds grimy and that sounds gritty. But that's the same music. That the yoga studios doing their, you know, hip hop yoga too, and you know, all the cool music that people are exercising too. So, you know, you think of you think of that kind of music, you think of T I and Jeezy. So, you know, if you're interested in verses, uh definitely check that out. Let me get some quick information on it. I think it's going to be on November nineteenth at eight PM. Uh, of course, you can watch it on Instagram, you can watch it on Apple Music. Uh, so on and so forth. So definitely check that out. We will, we'll, we'll definitely watch that and we'll give you our synopsis on a following show. So other than that, um, I think that is it for, for the culture. Uh, I just wanted to do a quick hookup for this week. 
um, one of the old videos I did on YouTube was starting to get some traction. So I thought I'd put that out there. If you are, if you find yourself constantly entering email addresses all the time, whether it be filling out a form, whether it be signing into a service or an app where you got to use your email address, uh, there is a keyboard shortcut tip that you can actually use to actually use symbols in place of the email address. And once you put these symbols in, you can actually use that to fill in your email address. So basically what you do on an iPhone is you go to settings, you go to general, go to keyboard and go to text replacement. Once you get the text replacement, it'll show you all the current shortcuts there. I think Apple puts some default ones so you can kind of see what they look like. For example, the default one that I know that they put in there is if you put the letters OMW anywhere on your phone, it'll fill out to on my way. So like if you're text messaging somebody and let them know you're on the way, instead of typing in on my way, you just put in OMW, your keyboard actually autofill on my way going forward. So the reason why I thought this was pretty cool, because there's something you always use all the time is your email address. Like say, you'll be using it to fill out a form, start an email address or sign into an app. So you can actually use what I've done is I've used the at symbol. So Terrence Gaines at website.com. I'll use the at symbol twice. Once I use the at symbol twice, I'll use it to fill out my email. So if I put at at, it'll autofill to my email address. I hit the space bar, boom, puts my email address in there. So you can do this on an iPhone and you can do this on a Mac. On a Mac, if you open up system preferences, you uh, click the keyboard in the system preferences and you type in text, you can uh, do a new sh shortcut keyboard and you can actually put in the uh, characters, whatever you want to put. You don't have to use at, at, you can use exclamation point X, something that you wouldn't commonly type. So, you know, uh, three question marks could be an autofill for an email address. It could be an autofill for your address, something that you always type that you don't feel like typing the full thing out. A uh, keyboard shortcut would be good for that. So I just thought I'd remind people that you can definitely use keyboard shortcuts to fill in commonly used things like an email address. So that is my hookup for the week. Uh, if Nika, you don't have anything else for the hookup, I think that's going to end it for. All right. I think that's going to end it for this show. Uh, we definitely want to thank you for joining. Uh, if you want more information, you can definitely download, rate and review us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. You can engage with us on Twitter. You can engage with us on Instagram and Facebook. We're at SnobOSCast. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube. Uh, definitely check us out. We're at SnobOSCast. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like the video, comment, do all the YouTube things. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, you can definitely leave comments and suggestions. You can do it on our website. We're at SnobOSCast.com. Or you can shoot us an email at snoboscast at gmail.com. Finally, 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 uh, if you want to support the show, you know, help us out, you know, let us know we're doing a good thing. You can definitely become a Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You get access to the live show. You get access to the pre-show. Like I mentioned, we talk about things on the pre-show that we don't bring in the regular show. And we have a Discord chat where we talk about all things tech in general. Uh, for those five dollars a month, you can be a part of that. And definitely want to thank you for your continued support for all of our current snobbists. That's what we call our Patreon people. So we definitely want to thank those folks. But other than that, I think that does it for this week. So we are out. Peace. Bye.